chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I had the privilege, the distinct honor, Friday, uh, to pray the invocation at one of our members who was retiring from the Air Force after 20 years. As a lieutenant colonel, she had spent many of her years uh, working in service of our nation. And it was with great joy to be a part of that process, to meet her friends, her co-workers, her entire life group showed up for her retirement ceremony. Kids out of school. There was an entire section. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. It was great. She shared stories uh, throughout her career. And she began to share in some of those stories the impact that it makes when you're one-on-one. -on -one about how you know that you put emphasis and effort into knowing people on a one-to-one -one basis, and you never know if God's going to use that interaction. You never know if that completely is how either they're going to come to faith or whether you yourself are encouraged. She kind of shared that as one of her messages. Anyway, after the ceremony, uh, a colonel came up to me, uh, one of her co-workers, he was just kind of chit-chatting, uh, uh, said, hey, thanks for the invocation. It's really great to hear prayers end in the name of Jesus because oftentimes in the, in the military, you can't pray in Jesus' name. It's uh, a little too offensive, I guess. And so uh, he just said, hey, I really appreciate that. Hey, have you ever thought about becoming a chaplain in the, in the air? And I was like, dude, you, move, you don't take any time to recruit, do you? I said, I, I got a gig, Okay. <laughs> So anyway, so we're chatting some more, and he said, you know how right she was that it is about the individual relationships that make all the difference in the world. He said, if you don't mind, I've got a story to share with you. He said, in the early 80s, my family lived in Miami, and my mom was getting gas in the car. She had her purse on her arm, and uh, he said, my mom is a big lady. And I said, okay. He goes, no, no, she is a big lady. She's over six foot tall, over 220 pounds. My mama is a big lady. And a guy came up behind her, put a gun to the, her temple and said, give me your purse. Well, she reacted. Wah! Hits the gunman and hits the gun, okay? At the same time, the gun goes flying across the parking lot. He's nervous now. Starts to grab the purse. They, they are in a tussle. The strap breaks and he runs off with the purse. 
She was like, oh, no, you didn't. She takes the gas, you know, deal out, puts it back in. She's getting into her car, and she knows that at this location, there is a right turn only out because it's a one-way street, okay? And so she gets in the car, and she busts out of the parking lot. She's going to go chase this dude down. Well, all of a sudden, she gets out in the street, and there's no car in front of her, no, nobody running, nothing. She goes a couple of blocks down to the next light, and it's red, so she stops. And right about then, she looks in her rearview mirror. And what this guy had done was jumped in his car, but had turned left up the one-way street. Well, he does a Yui, starts heading back down the street, and he's three cars behind her, stopped. So this colonel says, and my mom, being the southern redneck woman that she was, reached between the seat, grabbed her 357 Magnum, got out of the car, went down the street, pointed it at him and said, give me my purse back. He revs the engine, she puts one into the engine block. He pulls out as if to get her, she gets out of the way, puts four more into the front driver's side windshield, one more in the side as he's passing by. They never find him. Nobody's reported dead or missing. Three days later, the guy's wife is arrested for using her credit card. And on day four, a call comes into the house. Are you Mrs. So-and-so? Yes, I am, she replies. Hey, I'm just a guy that lives under the 15th Street Bridge. I'm homeless. I found your purse. Your driver's license, voter registration card, and your Social Security card are all in there. No cash, no credit cards. I didn't take it, but I've got it. She said, thank you, I'll meet you at such and such a time. Realized it was about three blocks down from their church. She tells the husband. Now remember, this is a southern redneck family, as self-described by then. This colonel says, I remember my father calling my uncles, everyone, all my nephews, everybody else that had a shotgun. They got all like 12 of them in a conversion van. They thought they were going to get robbed again. They get in this conversion van. They drive down to this bridge, and they start poking shotguns out all the windows. And this guy's just standing there. Here's the purse. <laughs> Colonel's dad gets, his, uh, gets out of the vehicle without his firearm, walks over to the man and says, thank you for doing the right thing. He says, what's your name? He tells him his name. He says, you're not working? Says, no, sir, I, I messed up my life. I, I drank it all away. I lost my family, my kids. I've been homeless for over five years. I've been sober for two years. I'm trying to kick it. I'm, I, I'm over uh, that part. I, I, I'm staying clean, but I, I can't get a job, and I can't seem to get ahead. So the colonel's dad says, will you work? He said, yes, sir, I would. He says, meet me down at the church, three blocks down. It's our home church. Meet me there at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Colonel's father spends the rest of the day calling their church deacon, says, hey, I need one of our transition apartments. Yeah, see, members of that church rent apartments of their own accord so that there's transitional housing for just such times as these, fully furnished, stocked with refrigerator, linens, everything that's in it. And this colonel's dad goes into the grocery store and buys a refrigerator and cupboards full of food. He buys a couple pair of work pants, work boots, and shirts. 
a tool belt and a helmet. And he meets the guy at 7 a.m. the next morning at the church. And he said, I'm going to give you a job to work for my company. You be there every day, never late. You'll earn a paycheck, and at the end of each week, I'm going to take a certain amount out. We're going to save it until you can get your own apartment with a down payment. We're going to get you on your two feet as long as you're willing to work. And that man worked for the colonel's father for the next 22 years. Changed his life. Came to faith. Worshipped with him. All because one man got out of a vehicle and showed love and compassion and appreciation. And he invited this man into his life. Costly, isn't it? Costly. Groceries for weeks on end until the man could buy his own food. Costly by the members of that church that had the foresight to say, here's apartments, church, use them whenever we need to. Costly by offering a job where the guy could have screwed it all up, right? Could have come to work drunk and could have messed up the business. Could have given the business a bad name on and on. You can think of all of the possible negative ramifications. But this guy invited him in. As we study the tangible kingdom together this Lent... This week, we'll kick off this understanding of what it means, the costliness of living in the tangible kingdom of Jesus Christ, that our job is to invite people in, to walk along with us, to work by our side. But not only that, realize that this inviting in is not just about inviting people in, but that you, even you who are a believer, that are in eternity with Jesus forever, but that you invite him in. And maybe that's even scarier than inviting somebody we don't know to walk alongside us. Maybe it's as Christians, we don't want to invite Jesus in because he's going to mess up our whole system. Isn't he? You know, because we got sin that we, it works for us. We got comfortable sin. We've got anger and bitterness that we hold on to so well and it makes us so good when we see that person we're mad at just keep failing. It really works for me because I feel justice in the world. It's not good. It's not good. You see, as Christians, we think, well, I have saving faith. I'm done. It's over. I mean, I might be in a couple Bible studies. I might learn a few new facts about Scripture. But really, why do I need to invite Jesus in? Well, inviting Jesus in makes us aware of sin. Inviting Jesus in says there's a different way of living. Inviting Jesus in says there's a different way of spending money and how I'll be seen and how I live. You see, inviting Jesus in is costly. It's costly. Our story this morning from Luke gives us a picture of this. Oh, I know you're thinking of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. This is the Zacchaeus. But that ain't the song we're going to look at. And here's why. 
I want you with fresh eyes this morning and fresh ears to read, to hear this story of two things that are happening. It's Jesus inviting in and it's Zacchaeus inviting in. You see, this morning, I don't know exactly where you stand. I don't know if you're on the fringes, whether or not you believe in this Jesus thing, whether you could honestly say, yeah, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would be with Jesus if he came back today. You may be on the fence. You may be going, what does it matter anyway? Or maybe you're a lifelong believer and you are realizing actually that you've been pretty closed off to Jesus. Oh, you're comfortable going to church. You're comfortable singing a song. But when it comes to actually living out your faith, truth be told, you're pretty challenged because it's not comfortable. See, inviting Jesus in makes a difference. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Don't pass by that detail too easily because here the, the, what's happening is, is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We are just weeks in front of the Passover. What's happening is that Jesus is absolutely going to Jerusalem to die on a cross. He knows exactly what he is doing. He is moving with intentionality. Are you? I just ask, are you actually living with intentionality? For those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, do you understand the calling that has been placed on you to live intentional lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not happenstance lives. Oh, I've got an hour to give or two. Or I can kind of squeeze him in here, but with intentionality. So that you say to a job promotion, you know what, that's all great and all, but it would mean more time away. And quite frankly, I'm not willing to give that time. I know it'd be better money, but... You know what? It's not all about money. I've got friends that are encouraging, lifting me up. Maybe I'm walking next to a neighbor who's not yet a believer. And you know what, God? I'm not going to take that, that move across the country. I've got a neighbor to walk alongside until they come to faith. That's intentionality. Verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now let me explain this to you if you don't understand. When the Romans would come into a nation and conquer it, they wouldn't walk around with soldiers going, give us your tax money. No, they would enlist a local, someone from the nation that they had just conquered. They would enlist them. Now, they would, interestingly, the way they did this was they'd say, we'll take the highest bidder. Who would like to bid the most money to us in, in as much of the tax? Right? So if the tax collector that wanted the job said, I'll give you 10% of anything that I earn from the people. And the Romans would go, hey, that's awesome. Nobody else bid 10%, so you're in. Well, he knew where all the businesses were. He knew who had businesses in their home that didn't have storefront or who didn't go out to the market. And so he knew exactly what people in their area made. Well, he would go up to them and he could charge whatever he'd want. He'd say, tax from the Romans is 20%. Take 10% for himself, pass 10% along. That's how he made his money. Well, some tax collectors didn't just do 10%. They did 20 or 30 or 40 or 50%. And that's kind of the idea we get here with Zacchaeus is that he was more along the lines of making 40% and passing 10 along. He was wealthy. He was wealthy. He was way better off than the other Jews. 
He was way better. When people walked by their house, they're like, yeah, that's the tax collector. How do you know? Look at the drapes for crying out loud, right? I mean, you can just tell opulence. You can tell by the size of the house. You can tell by the food that is eaten and bought. He was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. What I love about this is that this man had heard of Jesus. He knew the name. He knew what could possibly happen if he goes to see this man. Now, I don't know how many of you know adult converts. But a lot of times, I love the story of adult converts because they have said, if you hear, you know, yeah, I've heard of Jesus. I kind of knew about Jesus. I, I mean, I maybe even were a, uh, was a, an Easter and Christmas kind of Christian, if you will. But a lot of times they'll share their story in such a way that says, man, I just, I felt a tugging or a longing. Or it was a mom or a grandmother that kept praying and letting them know about it, right? Or it was a co-worker that bet them. We, we have an adult here in our 8 o'clock service who's been a, a believer for over 65 years. His bunkmate in the Navy bet him he wouldn't read the Gospel of John. He's like, we were going to shore. I needed 20 bucks. <laughs> So I don't know how God's working. I don't know how he wants to work, but I know that a lot of times adult converts talk about this desire, this wanting to see Jesus, even though they're not quite sure who he is. This is Zacchaeus. I know who Jesus is, but I'm a short guy, and I can't just stand on the ground because everyone else stands above me, and I won't be able to see him as he walks by. And so, in verse 4, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. He knew where Jesus was going to be, and he aligns himself. Now, a lot of times in our society, we go, wow, that Zacchaeus really wanted to come to faith. And I go, no, no, this is the Holy Spirit working, for crying out loud. How did he know what path Jesus was going to take? They didn't publish the map on Google Earth, for crying out loud. Okay, so I'm seeing the Holy Spirit moving him to go on, Jesus is coming this way, get up in this tree. It's as I mentioned about these kids in baptism, this is God working. This is God-working kind of stuff. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Maybe that's why we don't invite Jesus. We're afraid he's going to stay. I mean, think about it. When you left the house this morning, what condition was it left in? Could you invite some people over right after church, right? And you willingly let them walk right back into your house? I mean, with all those outfits hanging on the bed, right? Okay, the dishes that you said, we are late for crying out loud. We're trying to go worship Jesus. Let's all love each other and get in the car. Leave the dishes. Right, or you didn't dust, or you got boxes unopened. Right? Or you got, and, and some of you are going, no, we could not have people come over to our house. That is our sanctuary. This is where our family goes. I mean, really, when was the last time you invited someone in? Zacchaeus, I don't think, knew that Jesus was coming to his house that day. My bet is, 
along the way and realizing how wealthy he was, there's this little bit of guilt and shame where he's going, man, I got the gold stuff out. I got the good linens out. I got all the wealth out. And if he comes over, this dude's going to see it. Which is a little bit evidenced by the fact that when the people begin to grumble and go, Jesus is going home with a sinner. Do you notice Zacchaeus' response? He immediately, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Immediate contrition, immediate change. Immediately he wants to make restitution. Immediately his life is forfeit. Do you understand? He has just died to his possessions. He's just said, here, take it. It compares nothing to being at home with Jesus. Jesus went home with the short guy, the traitor guy, the rich guy, but he also went home with the broken guy, the repentant guy, and the guy who now fellowshiped with Jesus. In an instant, his life is changed and transformed. In an instant, he lets go of the past. In an instant, he takes on new behavior. Is that what we're so scared of? Is that, are we afraid that if we let Jesus in too far, he'll change it all? I think so. I think it's fear. I think we're scared. I love it when I hear Christians say, well, you know, Jesus doesn't want to change, you know, everything about my life. I've got some really good things. I'm like, yeah, tell me that resume. Go ahead. Stand in front of the throne. Explain to God how awesome you are. Or die. Die to yourself. Die to your stuff. Die to your passions, your desires. Die to your sin. Die. Die. And see what he will do. I I mean, the impact is incredible. If we will just get out of ourselves, invite Jesus in, sweep, clean up house, let him do it. But if I let him do it, I'm going to have to dredge up the, the perfectly placed skeletons in the closet that no one knows about. Friend, Jesus knows. And he's asking to be invited in to clean house. Because when that happens, when the house is swept clean, then there is nothing holding back inviting the neighbors in. Not to brag, but to establish a relationship with them in such a way so that you can influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This colonel shared with me one more story. When he was deployed to Iraq, I don't understand totally his position, but suffice it to say, he was the liaison between the United States Air Force and the Iraqi Ministry of Defense. He was one of three people that had this man's cell phone number that could be called upon at any time. 
Early on in his deployment, Ramadan came around, the holy month for, the, for Islam. He told the colonel, which is the general, this minister of defense, told the colonel, hey, uh, we're going to pray, and if we're in the middle of meetings three times a day, we're going to stop the meeting so that we can go do that. I just want you to know that's what we're going to do. Please don't take offense. And this man says, well, hey, uh, do you mind if I pray with you during that same time? And the gentleman said, "Uh, you you mean with us on our rugs? And he says, oh, no, 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 I'm a Christian. I'm not going to pray with you, but but I'll be praying during the same time. I'm a very religious man. He said, okay. And he ate lunch with this man, uh, except during Ramadan, they would have meals at night. Normally, he ate lunch before that, and he switched around the schedule. Instead of going home, he would have dinner with this man and, and talk about the day. And at the end of the 30 days, this general said, Thank you for honoring my faith. I've not met many Americans that don't just simply look down their nose at me when I want to go pray and, and, and refuse to work with me. Thank you for honoring me. I tell you what, I want to honor you. What can I do for you and your religion? And this colonel's like, did I just hear what I thought he said? He said, I know we will celebrate Christmas as an entire staff. That will be good for you, yes? And the colonel said, you know, that would be awesome. He goes, but if i got to pick one time of the year, it's not going to be Christmas. It's going to be Easter. You see, Easter is what makes all the difference. And he said, very good. I I do not know the story of, of Jesus and Easter. I will welcome it. Prior to the week of, of Good Friday, this, this colonel had been scouring, looking for a copy of the Passion of the Christ in Arabic. He gets a copy. He has it flown in. He tells the general, hey, uh, we are going to watch the Passion of the Christ. This will explain your religion? He said, yes, it will explain it all. He said, and then on Sunday, we're going to have an Easter morning uh, worship service. He says, I tell you what, I will have my entire staff there. This is like 100, 150 people. (laughs) Families, okay? So they watch the Passion of the Christ, and he's sitting right next to the colonel, the general, and, and he goes, is this really, this is what happened? And the colonel is like, this is what happened. This is, and they beat him, yes, and they crucified, yes, and then he was buried, yes, and he rose again? Are you serious? Yes. And they worshiped on Sunday morning, and Monday they met for lunch. And he said, I would so love to believe this but I would lose my job and my family and my life. And I just, I don't know how to work with this. And he told the general, it's okay. A day will come when you will come to faith. And he said, God willing, that he would come to faith. This man left his assignment and still gets a call every Easter from this general. And when his son came to the United States to go to college, he called and said, could you watch out for him? My daughter is about to graduate. She will come for college. Would you watch out for her? And this man has established a relationship with a man whose life could be changed for eternity. We just don't know yet. 
This is a great sacrifice because every time, right, those of you that work in the military, you understand that every time the friend calls from Iraq, he's got to call somebody and register that he had contact with a foreign national. Every time he contacts the kids and he says it's worth it, it is worth it completely. Because I've established a relationship where the Holy Spirit can work. Friends, I ask you this. Will you invite people in? Please. Do you understand that that's what happened at your baptism? That you were invited to die? You were drowned in the holy waters of baptism and that Jesus Christ raised you from the dead. And with that assurance in your baptism, you know that it will happen for eternity at the end of this life. You have been given much. I encourage you, invite others in to walk with you. To the glory of God. Amen.